Hi, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. My name is Isabel Ross, and I'm the coach at Peak Endurance Coaching. Episode 47 is an interview with Matt Fitzgerald about his book, 80-20 Running. Matt is an award-winning endurance sports journalist and best-selling author of more than 20 books on running, triathlon, fitness, nutrition, and weight loss, including books that I have, such as Brain Training for Runners and Racing Weight and also the book that I'll be talking about, 80-20 Running. His byline appears regularly in national publications, including Men's Journal, Outside, and Women's Running. Matt is an experienced running and triathlon coach and certified sports nutritionist. Now, in relation to his book and what we're going to be talking about, I'll just give you a bit of a background. New research proves that runners of all experience and ability levels improve most when they do 80% of their training at low intensity. Yet, the typical recreational runner does less than half of his or her training in this intensity zone. In fact, they're generally um, at much higher intensities, obviously. Can't get much lower than low. In his book, 80-20 Running, Matt makes the case for slowing down to get faster. It sounds counterintuitive, but have, have a listen. And in his book, he shows runners how to break out of the moderate intensity rut. I believe deeply in this principle and see too many uncoached runners getting into this moderate intensity rut and never racing to their potential or even just generally running to their potential. So please, I ask you to listen to this podcast with an open mind and reap the benefits in your running. Enjoy. Hi, Matt, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Great to be with you. Thanks for joining me today. Can you tell my audience, I've already given a little introduction, but can you tell them a little bit about yourself, your running background, and how you became such an expert on running? Well, first of all, I don't know if I consider myself an expert, but I have have been at it for a long time. Uh, I'm 49 years old. I started running when I was 11. Um, Oh, wow. Yep. I've also dabbled in triathlons. Uh, there was a hiatus there a few years when I when I kind of gave up the sport, but then got back into it. But uh, yeah, um, you know, I'm not a scientist and there are definitely better coaches out there uh, than me. But, you know, I am a runner myself. I am a coach. I love the sport. Uh, I continue to uh, strive to learn more about it, master it to greater and greater degrees, and uh, edify and inspire my 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 fellow runners. Um, you know, so I view myself as kind of a conduit, um, mostly through the written word between the real experts and you know the broader running community. Uh, that's fair enough, and I think you're being modest as well because um, you certainly do have a lot of um, information. And I, I, as I was saying earlier, as I've got a lot of your books, and there's a lot to be learned from from your writing. So thank you for all that information. Um, now, what we were going to talk about specifically today is your book, Eighty Twenty Running. Um, <clears throat> your book starts with the question: Do you want to run faster? Then you need to slow down. Now, that's a controversial statement to. For many yeah. runners, how does that contradiction work? Yeah, you know, if you if you were to survey, uh, I don't know, a dozen, two dozen, maybe a hundred of um, you know the the more successful coaches in in running, um, and ask them, what do you think is the most common error 
that runners make in their training, I I would be willing to bet that a majority of the, majority of them would say uh, doing their easy runs too fast. Yeah. Uh, like that's um, you know, just from the people on the ground who are getting the most success as coaches. Um, that is a common perception. And I know this because I've asked that question myself uh, to you know a lot of coaches. And it's my experience as well. Um, and uh, so, you know, practice you know, in, in most sports, all probably all sports, practice is always a little bit ahead of science. But science has shown that as well. Um, it's not that, you know, everyone needs to run slow all the time if they want to race fast. Uh, but it's that uh, the majority of runners uh, spend too much time in a physiologically moderate intensity when, in fact, <clears throat> the, the, uh, the optimal way to train in terms of intensity balance is more of an like an eighty percent low intensity, twenty percent moderate and high uh, intensity ratio. And um, how did you come? How did science come to that ratio, though? It started with the efforts of certain scientists. Um, a gentleman named Steven Seiler, in particular, he's he's American born. He he lives and works in Norway. But he, uh, among a handful of other researchers, started to look at, they started to um, try to rigorously quantify how elite endurance athletes train, not just runners, but also cross-country skiers, rowers, cyclists. Ah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, because they do what they do. But, it, 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 I mean, if you were an exercise physiologist, wouldn't you want to know? <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> Uh, so there were a number of studies performed to, uh, you, know, you know, quantify the way the most successful endurance athletes in the world actually train. And in terms of intensity balance, it was kind of fascinating to see that you know, everywhere from, you know, the United States to Australia um, in, in every uh, endurance sport discipline from cross-country skiing to running, uh, you know, the vast majority of elite endurance athletes were doing about 80% of their training at a physiologically low intensity and the other 20% at moderate to high. And, but that wasn't always the case. Uh, Steven Seiler and others did historical studies to look at how endurance, uh, elite endurance athletes of past generations trained. And they tried everything under the sun. You know, as you might imagine, when these sports were young, you know, no one's born knowing the best way to train, right? So yeah, that's right. there was a lot of experimentation and there was kind of this evolutionary process, you know, trial and error. And, but it's really interesting that on a global level across sport disciplines, there was this convergence toward an 80-20 endurance balance. And, you know, Steven Seiler's conclusion was that this was a kind of, you know, sport level evolutionary process where, you know, what everything was tried and what worked best was retained and what didn't work as well fell off. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, then the next question was, 
okay, if this seems to work best for, you know, athletes who are kind of genetic lottery winners um, and athletes who train at extremely high volumes, you know, by virtue of being professionals, well, does it also work for everyday athletes like you and me? Uh, Yeah. And so they find it, I guess, that it does work for everyday athletes. Exactly. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, it was, you know, very, it was, I mean, let's face it, for every one Olympic endurance athlete, I mean, there's, I don't know, 10,000 uh, yeah. recreational athletes. That's uh, it. So, <laughs> so that's the more important question. It's like, how do we train? Uh, and you know, it's, you know, common sense. It's intuitive to think, well, all right. You know, elite runners, they run, you know, 150 kilometers up to 200 kilometers a week. Well, I don't do that. So maybe if I run less, I can make up for it by running harder. So, I mean, that's that's a natural, you know, intuition. Uh, But... You know, control. So the studies I referred to a moment ago that involved elite athletes, those were observational because it's hard to like tell a professional athlete who's trying to get to the Olympics to change their training for the sake of a study. Like those, they just simply observed what they were doing. But there have been a, a number of prospective studies involving recreational athletes, including runners, where they'll take a bunch of runners, divide them into two groups and have one of them train according to this 80-20 principle, you know, the, the way the elites do, but at much lower volumes. We're yeah. talking like, you know, for, for runners, there's one study in particular I'm thinking of. It, it was, they were training about 50 kilometers a week, 30, 30 miles yeah. or so. Um, and then they would have another group, you know, the other group train at more of like, say, a 50-50 intensity balance. Which, which is actually what most recreational runners do. Um, 50% low intensity, and then most of the rest of the 50% at moderate, and actually very, very little at, at high intensity. And those, uh, stu- okay. those study, studies have tended to show that even at <clears throat> relative, relatively low training volumes with runners of you know average to slightly above average talent, you know, even those runners improve more when they do the 80-20 thing, like sort of training like the pros, but at a lower scale. Um, so there might be a, you know, an absolute limit. Like if maybe, what if you only train 50, <laughs> I don't know, 20K a week? Well, may, maybe then you should do more of your training at high intensity, but the science available to uh, to us suggests that the 80-20 principle really applies to absolutely everyone. So if that's the case, why do you think so many runners have such difficulty taking that on board? You know, I think it, it's actually a long list of reasons. Um, and I, I won't. Uh, yeah. We've only got so much time. So <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, sort of the main, the main, like, you know, one or two reasons, you think? Yeah, exactly. So I I think the number one reason is that, you know, if you are an elite 
runner. Um, you know, you can run pretty darn fast and still be at a low intensity because mm. speed and intensity are two different things that, you know, if, if you can, if you're a, like an elite male marathon runner and you can run a marathon in two hours and nine minutes, well, shoot, you know, you, you can, you can, you can be jogging in an easy run and training at, you know, a pace of, you know, six minutes per mile, but that's a physiologically low intensity for you. So there's much more room pace-wise for elite athletes to work with and still be at low intensity. Whereas if you are a beginning runner who, you know, maybe you're a little bit older, maybe you could stand to lose a few pounds. And so for you, if you were running at a very low pace, like basically the slowest pace that isn't walking, you might you might already be pretty close to that threshold mm. between low and moderate intensity. See, you don't have all that much room to work with. Um, but I think there are other factors too. Like I, I think the fact that elite runners train at very high volumes kind of keeps them honest because there's no way they there's no way someone who runs 160, 170 kilometers a week um, could could do half of their training at, at moderate to high intensity and not completely fall apart. Whereas yeah, that's those, a good point. Yeah, whereas those of us who train, you know, 50, 30 miles, 50K a week, you know, we can do the 50-50 thing and not feel all that bad and not even realize we're actually holding ourselves back. Um, that's a factor as well. Then there are, you know, other factors like, the Strava effect where yes, like, <laughs> like every, every run is, every run is a race, you know? Yes. You're, you're that, that's a big thing, I think. Yeah, exactly. So it really is a laundry list. You know, there, there, there are other factors, but it, it's tough. You know, it's like, there's a lot of things standing in the way, but it's yeah. quite liberating when you make the pivot and, and like sort of give the 80-20 thing an honest try uh, and see what it does for you. Now, you talk also about intensity blindness. Can you explain that? Yeah, intensity blindness <laughs> is a term that refers to the idea of, um, of a discrepancy between your actual physiological intensity and your perceived intensity. Um, so there's a lot of interesting research showing that if you just ask someone to step on a treadmill or hop on a stationary bike or whatever and, and fill a certain amount of time with exercise, say, okay, run on this treadmill for 20, 30 minutes ride this stationary bike for 20, 30 minutes. Um, you choose your own pace. Like this isn't a test. We're just asking you to do whatever you feel like. When those tests are performed, people consistently fall into an intensity that is physiologically moderate. And I keep referring to this, mm. you know, but, but there, there's a definite threshold, which is, which is known as the first ventilatory threshold. Um, it's a relatively, I mean, it's, 
it's the defining line between low and moderate intensity. Um, it's not that intense, but the breathing rate like abruptly spikes at, at that intensity. And that's because when you when you exceed that intensity, your brain has to become much more active to, um, to activate <clears throat> fast twitch muscle fibers to, in order to sort of sustain the pace that you're requiring. And, and that makes the exercise a lot more stressful to your autonomic nervous system. So if you're just above that threshold, it's much more stressful than if you're just below that threshold, which is what makes it a threshold. And like if I, just as a coach, if I told the average runner who wasn't on board with the whole 80-20 thing to go out and run for 30 minutes at an easy pace, they would go out and run for 30 minutes just above that ventilatory threshold and then come back and tell me, coach, I did just what you said. I ran for 30 <laughs> minutes at intensity when in fact they actually went out and ran 30 minutes at moderate yeah. intensity. And if you do that one time, no big deal. But if you do that day after day after day, you, you build up this sort of chronic burden of, you know, a mild fatigue that compromises your training. So that's intensity blindness. You think, you're at low intensity, but you're actually at moderate intensity. Again, not a big deal if you do it once, but if that's your habit, it really is. You're getting less out of whatever amount of training you're doing than you could get if you just kind of rebalanced your training. So how would a runner who's doing that um, <clears throat> learn to, to slow down and learn uh, that perceived effort of running easy, the correct running easy? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's funny because you actually you would think it's easy because I'm telling you to slow down again, yeah. not all the time. I'm telling you to slow down 80 percent of the time. Um, and that like, you know, from a purely physical perspective, that does make the training easier. But habits are hard to break, including including the habit of training a little bit too hard. Yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> So you, you have to put numbers on it. Um, you know, the key thing is to determine like what is your ventilatory threshold? Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's different for each of us and it also changes with your fitness level. Um, so, you know, the metrics are, you know, perceived effort, uh, pace, heart rate and increasingly you know power there are these running oh, power that's right yeah so you need to do some some kind of testing uh that will determine well what is low intensity for me what is moderate intensity and what is high intensity and once you've got some numbers you can rely on then you've got a little bit of objective to counterbalance the subjective which has been yeah. leading down the primrose path of intensity. <laughs> and I guess yeah. you would have to um, test that fairly regularly, wouldn't you? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you don't have to become obsessive about it. You know, just like, <laughs> you know, even if you're trying to lose weight, you know, stepping on the scale eight times a day isn't necessarily <laughs> the best idea. But yes, uh, um, yeah, because, you know, let, let's just say that you're a beginner. Um, and you're at a relatively low 
level level of fitness and you're getting fitter and fitter well yeah uh then you know if things are changing your ventilatory threshold is going up and up and up and you need to check in you know you 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 always need to like train as the athlete you are today not as the athlete you were yesterday nor yes as that. that's so important yes <clears throat> and um yeah okay so and um how would it once they've worked out um what their levels are how would they incorporate that into their training as a structured sort of training yeah so the next step is planning you know, the, the thing I've seen over and over again as a coach is that, you know, good intentions will get you nowhere in terms of <laughs> in terms of like training the 80-20 way. Because again, you know, habits are hard to break. Um, and there's so much inertia. There are so many, well, there are, you know, there are factors trying to pull you back into, you know, doing your easy runs at moderate intensity. So once you know kind of what your zones are, um, and really the most important thing is, you know, like 80% of your training should be, you know, easy runs or long runs at, at low intensity. If you just respect, you know, that threshold and stay below it when you're supposed to stay below it, that's half the, that's half the battle right there. Yeah. But the, the next step is, is planning. So, you know, you need a training plan. You need some, you, I mean, to get from point A to point B, assuming you have some kind of goal, you know, a, a race or a time trial or in these coronavirus days, like a virtual yes. race maybe, um, like you, you need a plan. And that plan uh, should be, again, I mean, well, not again, but it's important to say, like, it's not it's not as if it, your training has to be exactly 80%, 20%. There's no magic in round, round numbers, but you know, it should, it should be close to that ratio. When you look back on it, if you actually do the calculations, you should be close to that versus, versus, you know, where most runners are, which is more of a 50, 50 thing, like I said. Okay. So, you know, whether you're working with a coach or you're, you know, following a training plan from a website or a book or whatever, or you're creating your own training plan, the plan should have you spending about 80% of your total weekly training time at low intensity. And yeah, that's, well, it's really, you can't have three halves of anything, but that's the next third. <laughs> the, the, fir the first third of the battle is the, you know, the testing to determine, you know, what low, moderate, and high intensity you actually are for you in terms of pace or heart rate or whatever. Second, second, third of it of that battle is the planning part, you know, because you, again, good intentions. Oh, I get it. You know, eighty twenty. That's what I need to do. If that's all you do, you're just going to revert to fifty fifty. Trust me, I've seen it. Yeah. Uh, so you need to, whether it's from a coach or a book or a website or from your own planning you need a plan that is an 80 20 plan yeah and um you also talk about um the fact that uh the 80 20 principle not only improves fitness but also skills how does that work yeah so you know running really is a skill and we don't think of it that way because most of us are able to run by the time we're 
I don't know, 18 months old or, or so. Yeah. But uh, so, I mean, it's a skill we all have. But, you know, running is not all about fitness. It is all also about uh, efficiency. And, you know, not every runner is equally efficient. Um, and there's one line of thinking that, well, if you want to become a more skillful runner, you should, uh, you know, sort of, you know, consciously copy the way the best runners run. Uh, like, take something like stride rate, like how many steps per minute a runner yeah, takes. That's often talked about. Right, it is. Like, there's a full spectrum. And, you know, the best runners tend to have a pretty darn high stride rate, at least in races. And and uh, there's this whole 180 steps per minute thing. Um, but the thing is, like, most of the research that's been done in this area, whether it's with stride rate or stride length, or vertical oscillation, which is like how much you bounce up and down yeah. uh, when you run, or any any other factor. When you when you force a runner to to like consciously modify the way they naturally run, they actually become less efficient. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So I think that might be partly because it's such you know, it's something that we all do throughout our lives. It's, it's the next, I mean, it's virtually walking, like we walk and then we, then we run. Yeah. It's not, it's not like much more complex skills like archery or whatever. <laughs> um, and actually the essence of the skill of running is how unconsciously you're able to do it. Like the, the less you have to think about your, your running while you run, the more skillfully you're able to do it, and when when you when you force yourself to consciously to run the way some other runner, like some platonic ideal of perfect running form, runs, you're thinking about something you should be able to do automatically. So there's plenty of research showing that while conscious interventions, you know. <clears throat> modifying your natural stride to copy the stride of a better runner make you less efficient just simply running just shutting yeah. your brain off and running that makes you more efficient so you it i liken it to pregnancy or growing a beard you don't make it happen you let it happen <laughs> <laughs> like you just yeah. get out of the way <laughs> like it's like your your body will just do it um, yeah. And so the 80-20 principle, how it relates to that is that um, the thing I hear over and over again from runners who buy into what I'm telling you right now, what I'm telling your listeners right now, and give it an honest try, they find that, you know, so many people, they feel like, oh, you know, I'm running... I'm running 35 miles a week and that's all I can handle. Well, you're doing 35 miles of 50-50. What if you're doing yeah. 35 miles of 80-20? Suddenly you feel like, oh my goodness, I feel so fresh. Like I've never felt this good because you, you, know, you have to slow down for that 80%. Um, and, and, then, then, and, yeah, and then you can run more. 
I guess. And then you can run more and that accelerates the process. This natural, you know, I think I, I'm, I can't remember. I wrote it so long ago. I think I mentioned it in 8020 running my book. Um, you know, how do you get better at juggling? You juggle. Like, yeah. how do you get better at running? And I, I'm talking about the skill of running, the, you know, the efficiency part. You run. And, yeah. you know, if you, if, you, if you slow down your easy runs and then you're able to run a little more and then you do run a little more, that whole process of communication between your brain and your muscles that leads to shortcuts that make you that it's sort of like there's a whole blueprint in your brain for the running motion that becomes more and more efficient based on experience experiential learning and there's no there's there's no substitute for it like it's experience you just have to do the thing and the process will unfold. You know, there's research showing that like 60, 70 year old runners are more efficient than 20, 30 year old runners. And that's because- Oh, this wow, that's interesting. Yeah, it never stops. Everything else goes away. Yeah. You know, strength, power, VO2 <laughs> yeah. max, speed, you name it. But efficiency, you can keep improving that as long as you keep running because that's how it works. Yeah, and, and I've, I have heard that, you know, People, you know, always talk about VO2 max, but efficiency is probably more important. Yeah. Like if you look at elite runners or anyone who, like me, starts young um, and, you know, sort of, you know, pushes forward to improve, um, VO2 max or, you know, aerobic capacity tends to peak in like your early 20s. Um, yeah. And then that's it. <laughs> but if you look at, you know, world records, most of those are set by runners in their late 20s or early or even mid 30s or even late 30s for longer distances. Well, how does that happen? Like if VO2 max is everything, like how do you set, how, how do you run your fastest times when your VO2 max is actually on the decline? Yeah. Efficiency. Uh, yeah. that's exactly it. You can get better and better and better at the skill of running. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, really important point, I believe. Now, also you've written a, a, like a whole book on cross training and you've got a chapter in this book as well about cross training. <clears throat> what do you think are the benefits of, of cross training? Well, you know, the difference between running and other endurance disciplines is the high impact nature of the activity. Um, and, you know, that's one of the reasons, say, you know, elite runners might spend, I don't know, 13, 14 hours per week running, whereas, say, elite cyclists might spend 30, 35 hours per week on, on the bike. Well, that's a huge difference. But actually, those differences in in time mask uh, an underlying equality in stress. <laughs> you yeah. know, you know, 13, 14 hours of running is equivalent to the stress of 30, 35 hours on a on a bike because you know running is is high impact and. You know, God bless the athletes out there who just never get injured. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky them, yeah. <laughs> but that's that's not most of us. 
but uh, and I am actually an injury prone runner myself. And on on one level, that's a curse. You know, I wish I weren't injury prone. On one level, given the fact that I am a coach and, as you kindly put it, an expert, um, <laughs> you know, it, it it's actually helped me because I don't want to lower my ambitions just because I get hurt more easily than some other runners do. So it's like, well, how do I still try to be competitive and, and do the best I can do even though, you know, I can't get away with with the things that the unbreakable runners do and, and cross training for me has really been the answer. It's helped that I'm also a triathlete. So, you know, I'm like a lot of runners, they don't really necessarily want to do anything else, but my experience has shown it and research also shows it that if you, if you complement, you know, a certain amount of running with, you know, supplemental, uh, you know, aerobic training in low or non-impact act activities like cycling or, you know, elliptical running or, or what have you, you can kind of have the best of, of both worlds. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's what the cross training thing is all about. Uh, you know, so many runners, they won't, they won't, they, they don't really believe in their bones that, you know, that, say bicycling or elliptical running can do them any good if their goal is to set a 10k pr but it absolutely can um and yeah and so that, and i think it's also good to have something in your in your repertoire that if just you know if, if the worst happens and you do get injured you've got something else to fall back on as well wouldn't you say uh, yes absolutely yeah so that's you know, that's why I think it's it's really helpful. Like, even if you aren't necessarily that injury prone, it's nice to to mix in a little bit of cross training, even when it's not strictly necessary. So it it's not, you know, like if let, let, let's say you're someone who just you only run and then you get hurt and then you have to get on a bike. Well, mm -hmm. Well, okay, that's great, but you're going to have to go through a whole adaptation process. Like, you know, you might ride a bike for 45 minutes, and then if you're a man, you might not be able to feel your nuts for 45 <laughs> minutes afterwards. Like, oh, that certainly takes a while to to adapt to cycling. Yeah, yes. exactly. So if you if you sort of keep cross training in the mix a little bit then it's, it's much more, the transition of being able to depend on it when you have to is a lot easier. Yes, absolutely. Well, this has been so interesting and I really hope um, my listeners take it on board and, and uh, thank you so much for your time. How do people get in contact with you or find out more about the books that you've written? I guess the uh, best place to start in cyberspace is, is my personal website, which is uh, mattfitzgerald.org uh, and my you know primary coaching web website training website is uh, 8020endurance.com yeah all right well I'll put those links in the show notes as well as um, a link to the book um, and yeah so thank you very much I really appreciate it 
And uh, hopefully maybe one day we can chat again about one of your other books. That sounds good. I keep cranking them out. So you do. Yes, that'll happen. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Thanks so much. You bet. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation and I hope now that you have a greater appreciation or confirmation of the benefits to slowing down on many of your runs. Not all of them, as we discussed, there still is a place for high intensity, but the grey zone is to be avoided at all costs. Let me know your thoughts either in the comments on the podcast Instagram page or by DM. I love to hear from you. Thank you so much for supporting my podcast. I really appreciate the people who take the couple of minutes out of their day to get onto Apple Podcasts to rate and review. I read all of the reviews and they sure do inspire me to keep working on this podcast. Thank you so much. Next week in interview is one I'm very excited about. I chatted recently with Kelly Storette, an expert on mobility and helping runners improve their range of motion and thus their running. I'm sure you'll get a lot out of that one too. I know I certainly did. That's the beauty of uh, doing this podcast is I get to speak to so many interesting and um, informative people that I'm learning so much along the way as well. I don't know about you, but I'm already planning the races I want to do in in the quickly approaching next few months. It's hard to believe that it's, um, you know, midway through June already. So it won't be too long and it will be time to race. You don't want to leave it too late to start your training. If you're looking towards the races already, email me on isabel at peakendurancecoaching.com.au to organise an individualised training plan. Have a great week of training.